night. Good morning, church. Yeah, y'all doing all right? Man, it's been awesome seeing God work. We started that uh, back in December, and man, it's been cool to see what God's been doing. And so we've been able to help our missionaries in uh, South Africa. We've got a missionary team being brought up right now. We've been able to love on local teachers and even some students uh, at Vadia Village, one of the apartment complexes here. Been able to do a lot of things, cut down on our facility costs. It's going to help us launch people out to make disciples uh, of all nations. And what's really awesome is 65% of our church said yes and is on board and going above and beyond ties and offerings to, to give to this. And so maybe you're here and you hadn't uh, been able to, man, go to ccvide.com. You can go to Measurably More, click on that. Another thing that's cool is this past Sunday, uh, we did uh, parent commissioning and baby dedication. It's not really baby dedication as much as it's parent dedication. But we had about 22 parents say, you know what? I'm going to make a covenant to the church and to the Lord that I'm going to raise my kids up into a way that they should know. And, and when they get older, that they won't depart. That's uh, 22 parents that say, you know what? From the womb to the tomb, I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to start right here in my own house. And we had like 14 babies get dedicated. So uh, that's awesome. Well, man, uh, I love the Bible and I love the book of John. I love chapter 6 in the book of John. That's where we're going to be. And so if you got your Bibles, uh, John chapter 6, I'll just pray for us as you're turning there and then we'll jump right in. Uh, God, we love you so much and we're just thankful for, for you and God, your spirit in this place. And as we open your word, I pray your spirit will work in our hearts. And God, uh, just grow us and change us and help us fix our eyes on Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Uh, amen. Any movie lovers, any uh, Netflix bingers in here? You don't got to lie. Go ahead and put your hands up. Okay, love, love that. Uh, what's some shows you may like? Just name out some shows. Just yell it to me. What's some show, your favorite show? Outer Banks. Outer Banks. I'm getting so old. I was like expecting like Grey's Anatomy. That's like, that's like an old thing in the past. I don't even have Netflix. But, but man, oh, we, when, when you think about the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's a series of the life of Christ. It's a biography of the life of Jesus by four different people writing their reviews on, on Jesus and his life. And if you was to watch a movie, a trailer, or maybe watch four reviews about a show on Netflix, and every single review, they talked about one specific scene. And that must mean that that scene's a pretty big deal. And this, in chapter 6, this is a miracle. This is the only miracle in every single gospel. Matthew talks about it, Mark, Luke, and John. And it must be a big deal. And I want to invite you into this movie. I want to invite you into really three episodes this morning. We'll start, and, and the first episode is what we like to call the miracle. The miracle of Jesus. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he performed. We've got a great crowd following him because of his miracles. I just want to say this. You would too. I mean, I would too. It wasn't Nicodemus that said, Jesus... Man, no one could do the things you're doing unless God was with them. Like we've seen, like you turned water into wine. You drove people out the temples. You took a Lunchable and fed like a baseball stadium. Like you're doing things that's not normal. And you had this large crowd following him, but I want you to see in John 6, this great crowd followed him. But in John 19, this same crowd crucified him. 
And in verse 3, Jesus went on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. So you got the crowd, but then you got the crew. You got a crowd, but then you got the 12, a few people that walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and prayed with Jesus and did life with Jesus. I don't know about you, I want to be with the crew. And it says in verse 4, the Jewish Passover was near. And the Passover, Jewish Passover, looked back at what God had done for the Israelites, bringing them out of bondage and slavery to Egypt. But it also looked forward to a day when a real Savior was going to come and bring us out of bondage to our sins. Hebrews says that these things in the past were a shadow of what's to come. And John wants us to know Jesus is what's to come. Jesus is the substance of the shadow. Jesus is Noah's ark. Jesus is the Red Sea split open. Jesus is the temple and the sacrifices. And Jesus is the bread that comes down from heaven. On the count of three, say Jesus. One, two, three. And here he is. Here he is in verse 5. He says, when Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall I buy bread for all these people to eat? Philip, where's the closest Walmart? It's lunchtime. And he asked this only to test him. He already knew what he was going to do. Well, the Jesus is going to test Philip, just test him. I could just give him a pop quiz. Anyone ever had to take a pop quiz in school? Man, I wasn't good at pop quizzes. I wasn't good at any quizzes. I think I failed open book tests. Anybody else in here? He's trying to, but words reveal the heart. And he's wanting to see Philip's heart. He's asking him, hey, where are we going to buy? Bread, but remember this, the faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. And he's testing his faith. And then Philip says, Philip answered him, Jesus, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy bread for enough people to have a bite. Philip's like, Jesus, we could work for like six months and everyone could have like one chicken nugget. Like this is not going to work. Can you imagine all these people? Atlanta Braves game, the average number in 2022 is 29,000 people. Most scholars say, man, 5,000 men plus women plus children, maybe 15,000, 20,000 people here. It's a big problem. But sometimes it's in the face of big problems that Jesus shows himself like never before. And then verse 8, another one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. I love how he has to call Andrew Peter's brother. That sucks. Known as like Peter's brother. I remember uh, when I was in sixth grade, my brother, man, he was in high school. And they said, that's Eric's younger brother. That's Eric's brother. But what I want you to see in this passage is unknown doesn't mean insignificant. Usually in Acts and in the New Testament, it's some of the greatest people that did great things for the kingdom played the background. You know, they weren't like what we would do. They ain't all through scripture. There's here and there. But Andrew was a disciple maker. And it was actually Andrew that spoke up in verse 9. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Andrew's like, Jesus, here's a boy with a to-go plate from Captain D's, but I don't know if it's going to feed, if it's going to go that far. And then Jesus said, watch this. Had the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. John wants us to know there was plenty of grass. I love how detailed John is. A lot of grass in that place. Good place for a picnic. And they they sat down. About 5,000 men was there. And Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks. And he distributed those who were seated as much as they wanted. Jesus took a sack lunch and turned it into an old time buffet. 
Like 1999 Captain's Corner. You know what I'm talking about. Like it was bust. It was banging. I mean, it just kept bringing food. Just kept going. All you can eat. And that's what he did. And what he shows us is nothing's too small in the hands of Jesus. A small boy with a, some small lunch, a small faith, and Jesus moved great mountains. And Jesus in Psalms 59 through 12, God says, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He don't need anything. He don't need anything. Nothing's too hard for Jesus. No wine at a wedding, no problem. No food in the wilderness, no problem. No life in a tomb, I'll take it up on my third day. Watch this. Nothing's too hard for Jesus. Verse 12, when they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces left over, let nothing be wasted. Jesus doesn't waste anything. Even the scraps. Makes no mistakes. Didn't make too much or too little. He made the perfect amount for the perfect time because he's a perfect God. And Jesus delivered a miracle, but what I want you to see is he used the hands and feet of the disciples to deliver it. He did a great miracle. And he did a great work. But don't you know it had to be hard work? Twelve disciples, thousands of people. Can you imagine? Have you ever had to wait tables? Any waiters in here, waitresses? My wife used to be a waitress. She quit on her second day. She says, I'm never doing this again. I was so stinking proud of her, man. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have lasted one day. But this could not have been easy. Verse 13, so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with, with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. 12 baskets. How many disciples were there? How many baskets were picked up? That's cool. That's awesome. God's a provider. He feeds the birds. He, he clothes the fields. I, I in the New Testament, he sent out the 72 to go into the towns before him and preach the gospel. And he said, don't take anything with you. I'll take care of you. You just take what's, what's on your feet, what's on your back. He's a provider. And I love that about Jesus. In verse 14, he says, After people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses said, The Lord's going to raise up a prophet like me from among you. And they see this and they say, Man, this must be him. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And I'm like, man, why? If y'all were going to try to make me king by force, I'd just be like, heck yeah. I'd love to be king. But Jesus didn't want to be king by force. He's not king by force. He came to be king by submission. He said, no one takes my life. I lay down my life. And that's episode one, the miracle. And then Jesus walked off, went away by himself. And the disciples got in a boat. And they went across the lake to, to the city of Capernaum. was going across the lake to, to Capernaum. They get in this boat and about three miles out, a storm starts. They look up and Jesus is walking on the water. And they're scared and he walks up to the boat. He says, don't be afraid, it's me, it's I. That can be translated, I am. The same I am that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush, I am. And he got into the boat and immediately they got to the other side. A miracle feeding, now a miracle crossing. That's Jesus. And he gets to the other side. This is episode two. This is called the message. So you got the miracle, but now you have the message behind the miracle. Verse 25, it says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? He wasn't in the boat with the disciples. 
So not just when, but how did Jesus get here? Did Jesus have like his own personal jet ski? Did he like ride across on his own? How did he get over here? And they walk across and they see him. And I love Jesus. He don't even answer people. He just like starts talking about something else. Like, how'd you get here, Jesus? He, Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you're not looking for me because you saw signs I performed and believed, but you ate the loaves and had your fill. Just like reading their mail, man. He's like, hey, you're not following me because you believe in me. You, you're following me because you like what I can do for you. You're not following me for who I am, but what I can do. You see, motives matter to Jesus. He looks on the heart. He said, y'all are so focused about physical food. But you're missing the spiritual message. You know, the woman at the well thought it was real water. You know, Nicodemus thought it was like real childbirth. The crowd thought it was just physical bread. But verse 27, he says this, Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. The Father's placed his seal of approval. Now, I was looking this week, 140 million births a year per second. That's four per second. 4, 8, 12, 16, 20. But there's 70 million deaths per year. That's 2 per second. 2, 4, 6, 8. Half of the people that's being born, half of the people is, is dying. The only thing you got to do to be dying is to be living. And Jesus is like, hey, there's more to life than the physical. There's something else to life, And in that light, they ask him, well, what about eternal life? Verse 28, they said, well, what must we do to do the work that God requires? That's a good question. What must I do? You know, the rich young ruler said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When in Acts 2, when Peter stood up and preached and 3,000 people got saved, they say, what must we do? The Philippian jailer, when Paul witnessed to him, he said, what must I do? And then Jesus says right here, 29, believe. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. Believe in me. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his son. Whoever believes. John wrote the book of John, and at the very end of it said, I wrote these things that you may believe. And I preached this morning, and I beg you, believe. Believe in Jesus, into him, onto him. For the salvation of your souls. Verse 30. So they asked him, what sign then will you give us that we may believe you? Say, God, prove yourself. You know, let me ask you a question. What does God have to do to prove himself? God needs nothing. He needs no one. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're totally satisfied. He does not need creation. didn't need me. But out of the overflow of His love, overflow of His grace, has given us everything we have. Everything that we get to enjoy is His, and He gave it to us. And sometimes we're always wanting to look for something else because we're not really, we're not really appreciative of what we have already have. And what He has given us, we don't need another sign. And seeing doesn't always equal believing. And then they continue in verse 31, Well, our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. He gave them bread from heaven. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, it wasn't Moses that gave you bread. It was my Father who gives true bread from heaven. For the bread of God comes down and gives life to the world. And they said, Sir, give us this bread. And Jesus says, 
I am the bread. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the message. Come to me and I'll give you a type of bread that this world could never give you. Come to me and I can give you eternal provision. And Jesus says, I can satisfy a hunger that this world can't satisfy because you're an eternal creature made in my image. And the only thing you're going to hunger for when you come to Jesus is more of Jesus. And then in verse 36, he says, but I've told you, you've seen me and still do not believe. You still don't believe. However, verse 37, all that the Father gives me, got the Father given a people to his Son, all that the Father gives me, they will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away. Whoever comes, you want him? Come on. I'll never drive him away. The Father's given, the Son receives. Ephesians 1.4 says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. How do you know if you're chosen? It's simple. Come to Jesus. You come to Jesus. You come because you want to come. You come to him. And he would go to a cross and pay a real price for a real people, for everyone who would ever believe in him. In the same way that bread come down from heaven in the Old Testament to feed the Israelites in the wilderness, Jesus says in 38, I have come down from heaven to do the will, not my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is his will who sent me, that I'll lose none of those that he gave me, but I will raise them up on the last day. I'm not going to lose them. I'm going to hold them. I'm going to raise them up. For my Father's will is that everyone, on the count of three, say everyone. One, two, three. Anyone who looks to the Son and believes shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. And that's the best news in the world for Christians, for people who are in Christ and that are saved. we got an unshakable hope. I want to look at episode three. Episode one, that's the miracle. Episode two, that's the message. Episode 3, that's the meaning. What does this mean for us? It means everything for us. Here's a few things to take with you. It means, one, we need to fight against the drift of believing that this world will give you life. He says, do not work for food that spoils, but that endures to eternal life. Jesus says, I've got something the world can't give you. We all know what it's like to drift whether it's you standing on the beach and you drift and don't realize it or at the river or, or wherever and you're drifting down accidentally, not meaning to. And the natural drift of the human heart is the desire for more stuff. To, to look into the world to give you something that you don't think Christ can give you. That, that true happiness is right around the corner. Like on the other side of, on the other side of that purchase. Man, if I could just get this, if I could just get that job on the other side of college, man, if I could just go on this vacation, finally, praise God, I'd be relaxed. Man, if I could just get that raise. Man, if I could just remodel my bathroom. Man, if I could just, man, I just, when I get married one day, then I'll be satisfied. Man, marriage ain't going to satisfy you, man. My wife dreamed of having a man like me. I let her down all the time. Just ask her. She will tell you. 
And, and, but the definition of insanity is believing that if I get more of what I already have, then I'll be satisfied. Like Joby Martin says, this is the merry-go-round of stupidity. That you dream of stuff or see some stuff. Say, man, I want that. I want that stuff. Then you get that stuff. And after about two weeks, that stuff don't make you satisfied anymore. And you're like, I got an idea. We'll get some new stuff. And then you think that stuff is going to satisfy. And you buy into the lie that God's holding out on you. And instead of finding yourself in Christ, you try to find it in something else. But it's the belief that, man, I, what I have right now can bring me something that God can't bring me. This girl, this boy, this hobby, this money, this food, this house, these friends. But the sober reality is more is never enough. C.S. Lewis said it like this, I can't find a sweet tea big enough or a book long enough. And that tells me two things. One, he's weird. Two, he's right. He's right. Everything comes with an expiration date. Everything. But he says, he says, the world won't satisfy you because you were created for another world. See, Jesus didn't just come to make you a happier citizen of this world. He called you to make a citizen of, to another world. A citizen of heaven. That's the beauty of Jesus is he does not expire. He says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Never be thirsty. And so I want to challenge you, don't waste your life. Invest it. Invest it. Moses said, Hebrews says, Moses left the fleeting pleasures of sin to relate to his people. He had pleasure. It was just fleeting. It was just passing. And so he invested his life into what God had for him. That's what I would challenge you to do. Even Jim Elliott, famous missionary, said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And there's a little boy with a fish basket. That's all he had, but he gave it to Jesus. What are you doing with what you've been given? And when he gave it to Jesus, Jesus could do more with what he had than anything he could do on his own. Let me ask you a question. If you had a million dollars in the stock market, and someone from the future came up to you and said, the stock market's about to crash, would you leave your money in there? then why do you keep on living for a world that's passing away? And are you not worth more than a million dollars made in His image, purchased by His Son who died in your place? Remember, life ain't found in stuff. It's found in a Savior. Matthew 6, 19, Don't store yourselves up treasure on earth, but do it up in heaven where there's no rust, no moth. Where your treasure is, your heart will be. Connection, where's your heart at? Where's your treasure at? What are you working for so hard right now? And in the end, in the light of eternity, is it going to matter? Fight the drift. Fight the drift. Fight the drift. Take this with you. You will never find your purpose in life until you find yourself in God. Not just that, but two, not only fight the drift, two, it's possible to be amazed by Jesus and still not follow Him. It says in verse 2, a great crowd of people followed Him because of the signs. And Jesus said, you're, I tell you, you're not looking for me because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You see, in verse 2, a large crowd followed Him. 
But if you read in verse 66, a large crowd deserted him. In chapter 6, they wanted to crown him. But in chapter 19, they wanted to kill him. And when it comes to Jesus, it's easy to be a fan and not a follower. It's easy to be a fan until it's not convenient anymore. And that's what's so hard about where we live. Is it's so easy to be amazed with Jesus. It's so easy to be a fan with Jesus. There's a friend I meet with uh, every Tuesday morning. He told me, he said, Blake, it's like going to a theme park and walking around, but never getting on the ride. Everybody else is strapped in. They put their faith in. They're, they're experiencing the joy. They're experiencing the moment. And you're just walking around. And you can tell everyone about a theme park. You can tell everyone about roller coasters. You can tell everyone about what they do but you hadn't experienced it for yourself. He said, that's what it's like. And I know for me in my life, I can relate to the fan. I know when I look back on my life, there's times where there's been a disconnect in my life. And I followed Jesus until it wasn't convenient. I followed Jesus to get to something else. But Jesus isn't the means to something else. Jesus is the means to life. Colossians 1 says he's the firstborn among creation. All things were created by him, for him, through him, for him. He's the means to life. We don't follow Jesus for what he can give us. We follow him because of him. He is what life is all about. Don't be a fan. Be a follower. Don't be in the crowd. Be the crew. That's what I want to be in my life. You see, the fan wants the blessings, but the disciple wants Jesus. The fan's devotion depends on the season. The disciple's driven by the Spirit. The fan has public passion. The disciple has private devotion. Fans come and go, but true disciples remain forever. Don't settle for being a fan when Jesus wants you to be a follower. Take this with you. Jesus didn't just come to give bread. He came to be bread. The Christian life isn't a transaction by Christ. It's union with Christ. It's life with Him. At Bethlehem, Jesus was born in a manger. That's God with us. At Calvary, Jesus died on the cross. That's God for us. At Pentecost, He poured out His Holy Spirit to dwell in believers. That's God in us. God with us, God for us, God in us. Don't be amazed when He wants you to be transformed. And ain't that interesting that He would want to do life with you? And isn't Jesus the one that said that the kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field? This ain't transaction. This is treasure. He's the best thing about heaven. The best thing about earth. And I want to challenge you, don't settle for anything less. Don't settle for anything less. What good is bread unless it's broken? And he was pierced for our iniquities and crushed for our transgressions. And he chooses to be so united to you, so devoted to you, that he calls you members of his own body. That's what he calls you. That's how connected he wants to be to you. He wants to be united with you, life with you, not just be associated with you. Three, in Christ is the safest place in the universe. I didn't say comfortable. I didn't say easy. I said it's the safest place in the universe. There's no better place to be 
than in the hand of Jesus. I want you to notice first the will of God. He says, I've come down not to do my will, but His will. And this is His will. That I'll lose none. I'm not going to lose any of them. But everyone He's given me, I'm going to raise them up on the last day. For the Father's will is that everyone, anyone, everyone who looks to the Son and believes, shall have eternal life. I will raise them up in the last day. God wants a saved people for Himself. Where He can get glorified for everything He's done. Now listen to this in Colossians 1.19-20. God reconciles all things, makes right all things, through making peace through the blood of Jesus. At the cross, the blood of Jesus made peace for everyone who would ever believe. And he knew who would believe before he ever went to the cross. He made a real payment for a real people. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who had no sin becomes sin so that in Him, when you put your faith in Christ, you're positioned out of Adam into Christ. You're in Him. And when you're in Christ, you become righteousness of God. Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. What is finished? That payment. That payment for you. He paid a price at the cross. It ain't that big a deal. He died on the cross. Peter died on the cross. Thieves died on the cross. It's not that he just died on the cross. He died in your place. He says, come to me, and it is finished. See, here's, here's, here's the note. Death, the death of Jesus doesn't just make salvation a possibility. It makes it a reality. He knew before he ever went to the cross who would ever believe. The Father ordained it. The Son purchased it. The Spirit applies it. Selected by the Father, saved by the Son, sealed by the Spirit. Not just the will of God. Notice the hand of Jesus. Verse 37. All the Father gives me will come. They're going to come. And whoever comes, come on, whoever comes, I'll never drive them away. Verse 39. I will raise them up. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life. They'll never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Nobody. They're in my hands now. In order for me to get kicked out of Jesus, Jesus would have to get kicked out of heaven. I'm in him. He's in me. We're united together. How are we assured that we're going to go to heaven? If you're saved, one, he said so. Two, God already put the best thing about heaven in us himself. The Holy Spirit. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washing His blood. I want to encourage you, never forget where Jesus finds you. It's not because you're awesome. He's awesome. That's called grace. Now I want to encourage you, never forget what, what keeps you. It's called grace. And I want to encourage you, let that truth change your life. Grace finds us, grace keeps us, and grace changes us. That's real change for real sinners. It's remembering what saved us that actually grows us. That's what it is. Grace isn't just a jumper cable to get the Christian life started. It's the engine that keeps the Christian life going. Not a hotel to pass through, a home we live out of. And it's when we're reminded that our justification made right with God isn't on our performance. But it's in our position in Christ that frees us to love him even more because his love for us isn't based on me being great, but based on him being rich in mercy. 
And he saved me when I wasn't great. And that truth melts the heart and shapes our lives. It's not perfection. It's pursuit. It's pursuing Jesus. We grow like children grow. One minute I was like, we're holding Easton. And next thing we know, he comes downstairs and he's got something dirty on his lip. Or his underarms are stinging. We're like, oh my God, it's becoming a man. Like, what's happening? But slow change is still real change. It's a pursuit. It's following Christ. That's what the Christian life looks like. And notice third, the hope that we have. It says right here, everyone who looks to the Son and believes shall have eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day. To be saved by Christ is to be raised with Christ. An unshakable hope that we have. Romans 8.28 says, All those He foreknew, He predestined. Those He predestined, it says that He, he called. Those He called, He justified. Those that He justified, He also glorified. If you're justified, you're glorified. The question isn't, can I lose my salvation? You couldn't even find your salvation. The question is, are you in Adam or in Christ? See, there's two representatives that re represent you. It's as if there's only two people that ever lived, Adam and Jesus. And we're born, and Adam's our representative. He represents us. And faith repositions us out of Adam into Christ. And we repent of our sins and put faith in the gospel, and Christ positions us in him. And now when God looks at us, he don't see our sin, he sees his son. That's the question. Are you in Adam? Or are you in Jesus? Or have you been saved? Have you been born again? That's the, the question. And I would tell you, if being in Christ is the safest place in the universe, then being in Adam is the worst place in the universe. And you're born into this world in Adam. And you're born again by turning from your sin, putting your faith in Christ, and being positioned in Jesus. And now He represents you, not yourself. Are you in Christ? Fourth, Jesus wants to use you to share his love with the world. See, in John 2, Jesus turned water into wine. That's the miracle of transformation. But in John chapter 6, feeding the 5,000, that's the miracle of multiplication. And here's what it says. Jesus distributed to those as much as they wanted. And then he gathered back up 12 baskets. And what I want you to see is this. Jesus' love and compassion was shared with the many. But he used the hands and feet of the few to do it. He used the hands and feet of the disciples to share bread with other people. And there's two great truths that I love out of this. One is the extraordinary of ordinary. Jesus using these ordinary guys. There's no heroes in the Bible Besides Jesus. Like, I want to be more like David. No, you don't. He, he slept with his boy's girl and had, had him murdered. We strive to be like Jesus. He used these guys. Matthew the tax collector. Are you kidding me? Like my boy done robbed some of these people. He's out there like pass, passing out baskets. Like, sorry about that last year's taxes, Roger. Here goes some fish, man. Just take that. They're probably like, man, who's this? Why are they using these clowns? But this is the story of the Bible, isn't it? This is the story of my life. 
He doesn't care about my credentials. He wants my faith. He wants my heart. He wants my willingness, availability. And this can be true for your life. He don't need you to be awesome. He wants you to be faithful. And it also shows me the provision of Jesus to those who serve. Don't miss the miracle, man. Don't miss the miracle. It was the servants at the wedding of Cana that got to see the miracle. And it was the disciples passing out baskets that fish kept coming. They're the one that got to see the true miracle. And what I want you to see is, listen, when you live on mission with Jesus, you experience more of Jesus than ever before. And God was showing me that some of these disciples that was passing out fish baskets were some of the same disciples that left their fishing boats to do it. This ain't the first time Peter saw Jesus multiply fish. He did when he called him out of his boat the first time. He said, depart from me for I'm a sinner. And it shows me that Jesus doesn't promise prosperity, but he does promise provision. And I know even in my life, think about Peter. He would have never got to see the things he got to see if he would have stayed in his boat. I know in my life, Jesus brings me to a line and says, I want you to go further. I want you, I want you to go make this disciple. I want you to start praying and reading with your wife. I want you to go witness to that person on the job. I want you to go into the ministry. I want you to pick up your life and move to another town. And every time he brings me to these, these type decisions, I'm like this right here. Woo! I don't know if I want to go. But every time I've stepped, I've got to experience things I'd never got to experience if I would have stayed in the boat where I'm at. And he had the provision of Jesus. He feeds the birds. He clothes the fields. And this is the purpose for your life. He told Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. Spread my glory across the world. Make my name known across the world. My name, my fame. And then, and, and then he says, disciples, go make disciples of all nations. And in this miracle, he multiplies. And he uses their the hands and feet to do it. And that's what he wants to do in your life. He wants to use you to reach other people with the gospel. This world needs bread. You got it. What's good is, what's, what good is bread if people don't know about it? He wants to use you to carry him to other people. And then lastly, number five, the work God requires is believing in Jesus. They asked him, what, in verse 28, what must we do to do the work God requires? That's an age-old question. What must I do? Because everything in your life is based on you. You want a successful business, it don't build itself. You want to make the baseball team, you better swing the bat. You want to get a good job, you better go to college, you better put in the work. It's all about you. But the gospel doesn't work like that, does it? There's nothing you can do. It's what he's done for you in your place. He doesn't need you to work up to him. He came down to you. Right where you are. At your worst, he died for you then. And he says, believe. Believe, put faith in me and believe. The same way in the Old Testament, the Israelites were in the wilderness. They had nothing. And every morning when they got up, God had brought down bread from heaven and put it on the ground for them to eat. Every single day. And Jesus says, I'm the bread. In the same way he took care of you physically in the wilderness, I take care of you spiritually. You do nothing. You get up and eat. You get up and be, believe in me and believe in me and be with me. I'm the bread of life. 
See, culture is performance, but Christianity is position. When Jesus got baptized, the Father said, That's my son who I'm well pleased. And he's the only one that he's well pleased with. And when you put faith in him, you're positioned in him. And now he says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You come on in. You put faith in my son. That's what it's about. It's not stepping up your work. It's believing in his work. It's not looking inside yourself to be a better person. Righteousness comes without yourself, outside to God. The greatest lie ever believed, the greatest lie ever believed is right doing equals right standing. That man, if I just do this, then God will love me. If I just do this, then God will save me. If I just get my life together, if I just do this. I'm trying to free you this morning. The greatest truth ever revealed is your need of grace because the only jacked up people in the Bible was all of them. And all hopes for salvation and restoration with God's in Christ. And the greatest life ever lived is living victoriously desperate. This bootstrap Christianity, get your life together, stop cussing, stop drinking, and then God will save you. That's crap. He meets you right where you are and He changes you from the inside out. You surrender. And when you come to the end of your life, that's when you find life. I heard a pastor say one time, he said, nobody walks through the narrow gate with a swag. Nobody. We come broken and in need of saving. And if that's you this morning, I got good news because we got a good Savior. Stop pulling yourself up in your own strength. Start collapsing into His strength. You want a victorious life? You need to know your desperate need of bread. And you pull up a chair to the table of grace. And you live there every single day. It's follower, not fan. It's crew, not crowd. It's union with Christ, not transaction. But what good is bread if it's not eaten? And what good is Jesus for you if you don't come to him? There's a hunger in your soul that only Christ can satisfy. Take the teeth of faith and bite into the gospel. You bite into Jesus. To the Christian who's tired and defeated. Come to Jesus. To the Christian who's fallen into sin this week, come back to Jesus. To the one who's lost their way, you come back to Jesus. To the person rich and healthy, to the person poor and sick, to the one going through good times and hard times, to the 50-year-old Christian, to New believer, you come to Jesus. Life is found in the one who gave his up. And Jesus didn't come to just give bread. He came to be bread. And through him, we have communion with God. So for the Christians in the room, we lift our cups. And only the Christians. And Jesus says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Take and eat the bread. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You can take the cup and drink.
And it gets better than that. That's why we're saved. We give our life to what he did. And then he says, I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine until now, until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And for the rest of us in the room, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Let me ask you a question. Will you come to Jesus? Will you come to Jesus? Maybe you're in here and you say, Blake, I've been a fan my whole life, but I've never truly surrendered my life and put my faith in Christ and repented of my sin to be saved. That's the only way to be saved. And I tell you this morning, Jesus says, come and eat. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. God, we're so thankful that you provided a way for the forgiveness of sins through your blood and your body. And if you're here this morning, I'm just going to ask you straight up. And straight up, man. You say, Blake, I want to put my faith in Jesus. Right where you are. Will you just lift your hand so I can pray for you? Just lift it high. Lift it high. I want to pray for you. Just keep them lifted. Anybody else? I'm going to give you just a second. Today I want to give my life to Jesus. Amen. I see you. I see you. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. I'm so thankful for you and what you've done for us. I'm so thankful for Jesus and the life you lived and the death you died. And not only do you save us from our sins, but God, you unite us with you and you never let us go. We're thankful for the blood. Jesus paid it all. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.